It's been my goal since I started writing to include more LGBTQIA plus characters in my fiction. But I've been in a place for quite some time where I've been trying to explore a little bit more than that. Not just representation, but actually telling queer stories. I'm not talking about coming out stories, and I'm not talking about dealing with the many problems that we do in society stories. I'm talking about telling our stories, re-envisioning the world through queer eyes, and sharing that with others, and how that is a valuable process for us to go through. And as I've been working on that again lately, I thought, why not talk about it on today's episode of Project Shadow? Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my latest book. But I don't want to talk about that today. Well, I kind of do, because Crucify My Love is a very queer story. And it is so very intentionally. But I want to talk more about the process and what I mean by the difference between representation and actually queering fiction. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And after all, that's why I do this show in the first place. Thank you to everyone who has already done that. So, queering fantasy. And I'm going to be talking specifically about fantasy, even though I think this is something that should be done in every genre, but I don't write straight up horror. And I've only just started working on getting back into science fiction. And that was after some very bad experiences in the genre that I don't want to go into in this episode, but you can always let me know if you're interested in any of those stories. But I did actually kind of do this in one of my sci-fi stories in uh, Shine Like Thunder. But it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially here lately. And I'm going to talk about some of the reasons why a little bit more in tomorrow's Fiction Friday episode. But so what do I mean by this? Well, you know, I'm of an age that I remember that I remember when I was growing up, I would see characters that somehow reminded me of me that I identified with in a way that I couldn't understand. And I didn't know what it was because back when I was a kid, we didn't talk about the homosexuals and we definitely didn't talk about the transgenders because those weren't things that we talked about back then. We had to save the virgin ears of our children from maybe realizing who they are and why they feel so alienated from everything around them. And why is it that when they watch He-Man, they identify more with Tila and the sorceress than with any of the other characters? Why Evelyn is their favorite villain? Why they actually like She-Ra more than He-Man? And 
why Jem is one of their favorite cartoons. Yeah, let's not save them psychological trauma and pain later in life. Let's keep it all secret. And over the years, the battle that we've been waging has been one for representation. And representation is important. Seeing queer characters in fiction, no matter what that fiction is, is important. It's important for representation of all kinds, seeing your ethnicity, your gender, your sexuality portrayed in television, film, and other media is very important. It makes us feel less alone, and we've talked about this on previous episodes. The place where I am, at least in my life and my career now, is I want to move beyond just what does it mean to have representation? Because I think for a lot of stories, that's the best that we can hope for. But to me, the next great frontier in fiction is going to be the normalizing of the queer narrative and getting our stories out there in a way that they don't feel special and they don't get lauded because heterosexual people play the homosexual characters in the movie and isn't that brave. Or homo- or cisgendered people play the trans people in the narrative, and we all just kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't they brave? Yeah, no. That, 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 <clears throat> that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not, I'm really not talking about coming out stories, though I do think that those still need to happen. Coming out is difficult, no matter the time, because as long as we have a default gender expectation in our culture. And that default is that people are cisgendered and heterosexual. There will always be a need for coming out, and that will always be a terrifying thing to a young person to do. And I'm definitely talking uh, not talking about stories that deal with AIDS and drug abuse and All those things that normally get put out as, look at how brave they are. Because people don't ask queer people for our stories. So what do I mean by our stories? Well, one, and primarily, stories from our point of view. Stories from our perspective. We have a different perspective. At least... Most of the queer people that I know do, because we've had to live a double life. We've had to see life in different ways. When I was a child, I had to grow up pretending that I was heterosexual, and I pretended to have interest in girls, even when I didn't. I had a couple fake girlfriends that they didn't know they were fake girlfriends, but they really realized quite quickly that I wasn't really interested in having a relationship with them. I had to lie about my gender, and oh my goodness, for a while I even tried to grow a mustache and a beard, and I cut my hair short, and really tried to play up being really masculine, which didn't work well. But because of all of this, because of all of the experiences That has changed my understanding of gender. That has changed my understanding of sexuality. My appreciation for what these terms mean 
And these are two of the core things at our identity. No matter what anybody wants to say, I know it's very popular to say, you know, I'm more than just gay, but that colors so much of how you see the world. It's more than just how, who you find attractive and who you want to have a sexual relationship with. It makes you start questioning the definition of relationship. What does it mean to be in a relationship? My husband and I just celebrated, I can't believe this is real, our 23rd anniversary. We've been together longer than we were ever single. We spent more than half of our lives together. That's crazy. But our relationship is very different from a lot of the heterosexual relationships that I see around me. And it's built on different foundations. It's built on different core values that brought us together and kept us together through a lot of really hard times. And that is valuable to share. Because I don't think that there's just one way to have a relationship. I think it's very popular to pretend that romance only has one method for being romance, and that love is love no matter who it's between. But I've been in love with many people in my life, and every relationship was different. Every love affair was different. And while it's been a while since I've been in a new one, I can remember the differences between the ones that I had. And to treat them as the same cuts, devalues them. Because one of the biggest problems that we have with queer fiction right now is so much of it is queer romance or coming out or dealing with the stereotypical issues of our peoples. And I'm not going to devalue that fiction. That fiction can't, should exist. But I think what we need to be looking for, what I, at least in my work, am striving for, is finding stories that take into effect my worldview and take into effect how I have come to see not only the world, but all the many little facets of it because I grew up having to pretend to be masculine when I was not. I grew up having to pretend to be straight, even though I was not. And as such, I have seen what it's like on both sides of that coin. That's a broadening of my own perspective that I want to bring to the fiction. And it's something that I think will change everything if we can start telling our stories. So what exactly are our stories? It sounds so amorphous when I say that they're stories from a queer perspective, but they are stories from a queer perspective. I am a non-binary person. I identify most strongly with my feminine side, but not to the complete exclusion of my masculine nature. But I'm definitely not male. I, I can say that very, very clearly. I am not male. I've never been male. I will never be male. And as such, the way I perceive gender, the way I perform gender, is different. Now, when I'm saying telling our stories, yes, there's a place for coming out 
narratives. There's a place for us to do those deep dives into how we perceive gender. And those stories can and should exist, and those are part of our stories. But when we start writing fiction where we're taking that into effect, when our characters simply are queer in some way that we are we have defined, and then allow the audience to perceive the world through that perspective. Because I think that's what I'm missing in most of the representation fiction that makes it through to the mainstream. And that's really what I'm talking about here. Because in queer circles, in queer fiction, in queer publishing houses, I think there are a lot of people doing what I'm talking about, trying to find ways to tell our unique stories from our, our unique points of view. But that gets lost in translation. That gets lost when we try to bring it to a wider, more mainstream audience, because there's this feeling that, well, a heterosexual audience isn't going to understand that, or a cisgendered audience isn't going to understand that. So let's take all of the transgendered characters in the story, and let's mash them into one person and let them represent all of the trans characters. And our main character, even though that they were, they were bisexual and primarily queer in their relationships, let's pretty much make them straight. That way the character has an, the audience has an in through that character into this world. No, <laughs> that doesn't work. See, you're, you're erasing from our fiction the things that make it ours. You're erasing from our fiction our voice. The idea, and you can see how this plays out, the idea that in The Rise of Skywalker, there could be a two-second kiss in the background between two characters that I dare anyone who's not a hardcore Star Wars fan to name, because one has a name pronounced, said once in a previous film, and the other character I, is not named at all except for in peripheral material. Yeah, that, okay, representation, yay, queer characters exist. And we can see how this actually plays out. This is why I always go to Sinjir. Sinjir, in the Aftermath books, is not only a queer character, but he sees the world through queer eyes and experiences Star Wars from a queer perspective. He is a canon character who ticks all of the boxes that I'm talking about. But that's in the peripheral material. Most Star Wars fans are never going to read the Aftermath books. They're not going to listen to the audiobooks. They're not going to know that Sinjur even exists. But, and this is where I get really frustrated, is Snap, who's also from those books, Snap Wexley, he gets not only to appear in those movies, he even gets an ignominious death, like so many characters in The, Last, um, the Rise of Skywalker, but he's allowed to have that through line. Where's Sinjir? Do we see Sinjir in any of the movies, even in the background? No. No, he's not present. Why? Why don't we get to see him? Where did he go? And yes, I know the answer to that. He probably died when Starkiller Base blew up Hosnian Prime. Yes, 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 yes. I know, I know, I know. But... We could have had a character that obviously reminded us of him on the deck there, looking out 
because we get to see people witnessing this happening. It wouldn't have been good representation, but at least he would have made it into the live-action films. But no, he's relegated to the side material. But aren't we supposed to be proud of Star Wars because they gave us representation? Well, what representation did they give us? They didn't give us a female character who told the story from a female point of view in Rey. They completely cut Rose Tycho out, who was one of the more interesting characters in The Last Jedi, and we can have a conversation about that if you really want to, who did see the world from a very strong female perspective, which is one of the reasons there was a backlash to her. And if you're going to give in to the backlash when you allow any character, be they a minority character like her or a female character like her, be shouted down and relegated to the sidelines because people react negatively to it, you're just giving in to the lesser angels, to the demons of our society. And you can't do that. You have to have bravery. Oh, so we're finally going to get a trans superhero, and we're finally going to get an out gay superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yay! Isn't it about time? Let's celebrate. But no, it's just going to be a thing about them. And yes, representation is important, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going back and hammering that over and over and over again, but Valkyrie need if we're going to allow Valkyrie to be an out queer character in Thor Love and Thunder I'm fine with that but I want her character to express her queerness which doesn't mean that she gets a girlfriend she should because I'm tired of characters being queer on paper and never having relationships that's a problem but it's more than that she has an identity. She has a relationship with herself that she's had to develop over time. Because, well, this appears to be a minority even among, amongst ex-guardians, unless we're going to retroactively make <laughs> Thor buy or something. Which, who knows, maybe they'll do that too. You have to embrace the characters and their points of view. Because that's the logical next step. We need to not only have characters to show up and go, Hi, I'm here, I'm queer, I hope I'm not taking up too much screen time. We need characters that are going to embrace their identity and the history that comes with that and let it shine through their perspective and how they engage in the story. How they have learned to deal with various social interactions. How they have learned to cope with the society that they live in. That is what I'm looking for. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about queering fantasy. We need to have these characters matter. Because their life stories should impact who they are. It should impact their everything. The entire point of Civil War, Mar Marvel Civil War, is that Tony has unresolved mommy-daddy issues. That when he finds out who killed his mommy and daddy, he's willing to blow up the Avengers to seek revenge, which is a very non-heroic act. But you understand that because it's built into his character and who his character is in his character's worldview. Everything he's done 
has been to a, an attempt to find salvation for both himself and for Howard Stark. And so it makes sense. We see how his childhood, how his life, how his worldview makes him who he is. And that's what I'm asking for. Just give us a queer character where it really matters. And beyond the CW, because I think the CW does this quite well. Batwoman has been doing a really good job with this. And I think actually tackling that issue head on. I think Supergirl has done this really well, especially with Dreamer. Love Dreamer. And hopefully they continue to do this. And there are other characters that I can mention as well, but we're running short on time. So yeah, this is kind of my manifesto for the year to come. I'm wanting to make sure that the characters that I write, it matters that they're queer, that they're not just a tick box. And hopefully some more, more mainstream projects will do the same. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate it in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out a lot. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find a link to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you've got a dollar and would like to join the project, in the show notes you'll find a link to both my Patreon and listener support. The difference between the two is the people on Patreon occasionally get stuff. <laughs> if you've already done that, thank you so very, very much. And if you haven't, that's all right. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, think about whether or not you know somebody who would like what I'm doing. And if you can think of somebody, please share. That helps out more than you'll ever know. And that goes for everybody. Sharing is caring, honey. Sharing is caring. Thank you to everyone who listens. You mean the world to me. And until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.